to be able to be that person for this president, for the Biden-Harris administration at a critical moment like this moment. When I started this conversation, I talked about the crises that the president walked into. My hope is that I make them proud every day. We got to address the suburban women problem because it's real. Welcome to the Suburban Women Problem, a podcast from Red, Wine, and Blue. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Venman. I'm Amanda Weinstein. I'm Jasmine Clark. And this is the Suburban Women Problem. Over the past few weeks of this podcast, we've had some pretty exciting guests. And this week is one of the best because we were joined by White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. There's so much to pay attention to at the local level and local elections are incredibly important. But there's no denying that on the national level this year, we could actually lose our democracy. So it was nice to zoom out a little bit and talk to Corrine about the Biden administration and everything they've done to support regular Americans, including suburban women. This is our last episode for a few weeks while we share our limited series, The Cost of Extremism, and we couldn't have asked for a better guest than the White House press secretary. But before we get to that interview, we have to talk about the news. It seems like every day is something big. I mean, like kind of huge, right? So let's just pick a few things. What has been standing out to you? All right, I've got a question. So I know this is good news that we took back George Santos's seat, right? Great news, right? However, the Dems have had that seat for quite a number of years before we took it back. So I know Dems are super celebrating and I'm all about celebrating the wins, but also this is something we really screwed up last time. Uh, and so this is really just undoing something we majorly screwed up, which is a win, but it's not a huge win. I think that um, number one, yes, we let that one get away from us. And so we're getting this back. So this is kind of like a, it's not really a gain in any way. It's more of a fixing of a mistake. Yeah. But what I will say is that I can tell from the the 24-hour news cycle and from literally every single news broadcast, whether it's on NPR or anywhere, that the border is going to be the Republicans rallying cry for why they should win in 2024. So one of the things that did stand out to me was that this candidate did not shy away from the border issue. And why that's so important is because New York has been one of the places that uh, Republicans have targeted yeah. as we're going to ship all these migrants here so that, you know, they have to deal with it. And then it becomes their quote problem. And you know, I, I find as a Democrat that a lot of times we do try to shy away from difficult topics. But in this case, he attacked, he tackled it head on and it did not harm him. And I think that is a blueprint for how Democrats across the country need to be. It was the same with abortion. You know, for a long time, they were like, oh, I don't really want to talk about that because the people get in their feelings. But then we found out, actually, no, people want to talk about their reproductive rights. And so I that's one victory, I will say, was that while, yes, it was a net neutral as far as seats, um, it is not neutral in, as far as messaging mm -hmm. from the Democratic Party. No, there are definitely some lessons learned there, I think. And I think the way the seat was lost was George Santos, for all his flaws, <laughs> he listened to people. We, again, we've talked about this many times before. I have said this related to parenting. You have to talk about things when they come up, 
even if you don't want to, whether it's late at night, or if it's a topic that you thought you had a few years before you needed to discuss it or bring it up, you when it when it comes up, you have to talk about it. And politicians need to do that as well. Um, They don't get to decide what's important to voters. And you're right, the um, immigration, the border is, um, is, is really something the Republicans are going to make an issue. On that topic, I have to say, did you guys see that now, because the Republicans refused to bring the bill that was passed by the Senate, they refused to bring it to the floor for a vote. And so that bill died, even though the border agents, um, I'm not sure what the term. Um, yeah, border, the U.S. Border Patrol, um, their union. Um, yes, their yes. union, um, the officers and agents, they, who, who, by the way, endorsed Trump, they supported this bill. They wanted it to be voted on. But because it wasn't passed, their solution is to release Thousands of people who are being detained with no really tracking of where they're going to go because they do not have the money. They do not have the personnel. So does that seem like the answer? I mean, it is, they're basically saying like, we can't keep going. You guys have not given us what we need to keep going. And it is not the White House. It is 100% the Republican controlled Congress who is doing this. And this is what we have to keep talking about. I know you don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. But do you want to win? Do you want to have democracy? Then you got to freaking keep talking about it. I mean, the other thing I would like to say, celebrating a little win. I mean, the fact that they are focusing so heavily on immigration right now clearly means they have finally admitted the economy is going great. We are now all kind of at this understanding. These talking points are not going to work. So let's move on to immigration, which is their standard playbook, which is exactly what they did. Yeah. But they don't want a real conversation about immigration. No, they don't. They just want made up talking points. They don't want solutions. They will stop solutions so that they continue to use it to get votes. And these are conversations we don't have when we just get the crazy chaos that is Congress. But I want to say, because I had the opportunity to speak about this in the well of the Georgia State House, um, they're running on this campaign and they are using state legislatures as a method for campaigning for Trump. So I recently had to vote on a resolution that was worded something like Biden is doing a horrible job at the border and Trump um, had all the right answers and we just need to go back to Trump's policies and, um, you know, we just need to condemn Biden for his handling of the border. And it brought back the fact that, you know, I am in my 40s. And I won't say how far in my 40s, but I'm in my uh, 40s. Not as far as some of us. (laughs) It's true. I have been hearing about immigration pretty much my whole life under Democratic presidents, under Republican presidents. Like no one has really offered any tangible solutions. And yet here we are, like we're just continuing to talk about it. But then when there are tangible solutions, like we had DACA, uh, DACA I won't take that away uh, from the Obama administration. But when we have these tangible solutions, Republicans fight against them. It's almost like they don't actually want solutions. They need a problem yeah. to amplify. And if we actually solve it, then they don't have a problem to amplify. And then they don't have a campaign message. And then how else are gonna, they going to uplift a man who is just faltering in every aspect of his life right now, including 
going on with like in New York. This man can't even run businesses. You know, I I will say like whenever the ruling came on Friday, I was well and truly done because when I woke up on Friday morning to the news that uh, Alexei Navalny had been murdered. Now um, reports are that he was poisoned, uh, certainly at the authority of Vladimir Putin. Um, And, you know, just none of these things happen in a vacuum. This is a situation where uh, you have Trump's comments that, you know, if people don't pay up, if they owe money to NATO, NATO, once again, NATO is not a golf club. And, um, and so he made these comments. And then you see less than a week later, Alexei Navalny was murdered. People need to start connecting the dots on these on these events. Um, they are very much related, and and I understand not everyone is uh, a geopolitical expert. I do happen to live with one. I am not one either. But uh, I also know that it is just very much the Russian psyche because I lived in Russia and I lived in Russia when Alexei Navalny was not in prison and he um, was very much a popular figure. And I saw the way he would be treated uh, and his supporters would be treated as well. So I was done again. I was done on Friday by the time um, the ruling came out. But, you know, it's almost to the point. I mean, don't you think that it's like we're kind of even jaded when we get these rulings against Trump because we know he deserves this. I mean, it's nice to see some sort of accountability, but also it's like, oh, okay, well, that's sort of how the justice system is supposed to work. I mean, yay for it working. (laughs) I mean, I think for women, it's just so frustrating to see the epic failing up that some men can do that, like just epic. I don't think hundred percent. I can't think of any man that has more epically failed up than Trump, even though we know he's guilty, even though like, okay, we get this ruling. But then at the end of the day, he's still a candidate to be the most powerful person in the world. I just like. The PR campaign Trump's whole team must be going through right now to try and explain away like ruling after ruling after ruling of fraud and assaults and everything else. I just can't I just can't imagine how they're continually trying to spin this with Republicans. But do they have to? Oh man, I don't I don't know. No, a lot of this I've heard, seen on like polling is that it just makes them like like him even more, which I really, I can't even get my my brain in that. But I just wish more people would make that connection that you mentioned of the things that he says, right? Embolden Russia to do things like murder someone, to do things like attack another country. And, you know, we didn't even talk about right before Alexei Navalny, you know, was murdered, Tucker Carlson went on a little PR campaign for Russia right before. I, I can't even... I mean, I think they admire the strong man. I mean, they admire someone who's literally able to murder their political opponents. I, Tucker did a, a, an interview as well, where in which he said, um, all leaders kill people, some kill more than others. My leader has killed people. And uh, so pro life. Yeah, right. But I mean, he really believes this. And I mean, it's it's simply not true. But he said it so plainly. Um as if you're like reading a menu or a newspaper. And I think it, when you say things like that, people can can really believe you. And he doesn't have his platform anymore on Fox News, but he still has people who listen to him and trust him. And um, it's obviously incredibly dangerous. And one other thing that might have gotten buried in all this, but Trump apparently supports 
a 16 week abortion ban. But it's not just that we've we've learned in what what is it? Alabama, Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen unimplanted embryos qualify as human life. I mean, I don't even know. And I like, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, this is the first step towards banning IVF. I know that these families are very upset and I and I can't understand what that must feel like to be that upset. And I do think they should have the right to sue and be compensated for someone destroying those embryos. However, there is a difference between someone destroying something of yours and uh, a wrongful death. Let's just say that. As someone who has frozen embryos, um, I can say that would be very difficult and very challenging, obviously. Um, I I can't imagine. Basically, every moment of infertility is like a tragic roller coaster and horrible. So I do understand the emotion, but I also feel like people are preying on this emotion and, um, and then using it to prevent these kind of treatments. So I think it's it's some really bad actors trying to take advantage um, in, a, in a horrible way. And saying that this was a wrongful death for to accidentally destroy embryos could very well lead us down the path of one, banning IVF, not to mention a complete abortion ban. Like this is not some imagined slippery slope. Like this is very real. And it is just, I know I kind of joked about it, but this is like Handmaid's Tale stuff. Oh my God. All right. Now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have our interview with Corinne Jean-Pierre. Extremists across the country are attacking our freedoms, and kids and families are paying the price. These anti-abortion organizations are everywhere. They're powerful. They're well-funded. My CPC story is deeper. It's a big part of my abortion experience for me. Everybody can be impacted by reproductive and sexual health issues from life to death. There is damage done when children in a classroom are not permitted to see themselves reflected in the books they're told that they have to read. The Republicans and conservatives of yesteryear were dorky, and Charlie decided he wanted to do a bunch of things. One of them was to make being conservative cool. A big project was to dispel the idea that there is any one type of person who gets involved in white nationalism. Women are such an integral role in the movement. We make it look enticing. Oh, there are girls in the far right. Men go in thinking they're going to find wives. Women join thinking that it's safe. We are the propaganda. Don't miss out on this limited series where we'll explore the pressing issues facing our country. Join us as we tackle topics ranging from anti-abortion clinics and book bans to American exceptionalism in our schools and the crunchy mom to alt-right pipeline. Tune in for this season of The Cost of Extremism, starting February 28th. Today, we are so excited to welcome Corinne Jean-Pierre to the podcast. She's the current White House Press Secretary, and she's the first Black and first openly LGBTQ person in that position. Madam Secretary, thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for having me on today. I'm excited for this conversation, this opportunity, and so, and get to know you both a little better too, as well. So yay. We're excited too. (laughs) Very excited. So the Biden administration has done so much for Americans in the past three years, but not many people seem to know about it or talk about it. What are some wins that our listeners can share with their friends and their neighbors? Oh, I love this question because it's so important. And again, appreciate this opportunity uh, to talk to all of your listeners uh, on this important issue. Look, the president came into this came into this role understanding uh, what the country was going through: the economy, COVID. Uh, there were all these crises, climate change, and he got to work. He got to work and turn the economy around. It was in a tailspin when he walked in. And now what we're seeing is 14 million, more than 14 million jobs created under this administration, for example. We're seeing unemployment under 4%, for example. And not only that, oh, and one more thing too, which is really important, wages are going up, but also inflation is down by 2% in the past six months. And that's because of the policies he's put forward. That's because of these really important uh, legislation that legislations that he helped, helped create or worked with Congress on. We're talking about actually investing in communities so that we're building roads, so that there's broadband for folks in rural America, suburban America, uh, urban America, so that we can... Th- all kids and families could be able to truly uh, uh, have that broadband and the internet uh, at a cost that's affordable to them. And one of the things I'd love to talk about is the Inflation Reduction Act. That is so important. It's important because with the provisions in there, if you think about healthcare and lowering costs for healthcare, that's what the Inflation Reduction Act, it is the biggest investment in dealing with climate change. So energy costs are also coming down. And when you think about Medicare and drug prices, we've been saying for months, there's months, for years, pardon me, for years, how we need to beat big pharma. We really need to make sure that we do that in a way uh, that Medicare can be able to negotiate. The president was able to do that. So now drug prices uh, are going to start going down once they start negotiating and figuring out the best drugs to do that with, to start off with. And insulin is capped at 35 bucks for seniors. Can you imagine there are seniors out there who are paying 200 300 $400 a month on insulin? Now they're capped at 35 bucks. So those are just a few. I'm just, I'm just rambling off on a few things uh, that the president has been able to accomplish this past three years. Wow. There are so many good things that he has done for real families. But as we know, good news doesn't always sell. So it's important to talk about that. And I know Jasmine always talks about highlighting the wins. Yeah. And we need to highlight the little wins along the way. Exactly. So one thing that has been increasingly uniting women since the fall of Roe has been reproductive rights. So what has the administration been doing to protect abortion access and reproductive freedom? That is That, that question obviously lays out a very scary moment uh, for women ar- across the country. And it has caused havoc, havoc uh, to women across the country. You have, We have heard horroring stories about what women have gone through uh, because this right, this right to for a woman to make an incredibly difficult decision about her life that she should be making with her family and that she should be making 
with her doctor has now been turned over, now no longer exists. And it is devastating. So you have seen the president speak to this. You have seen the vice president. She has been touring across the country to highlight, really going to the belly of the beast. She started off her tour going to Wisconsin, which was dealing with a restrictive uh, ban on, on abortion. And she has been really on fire speaking about this and making sure that we highlight exactly what's going on. And what we have seen over the course of almost two years now is that we have seen women in red states, in blue states, actually standing up and speaking out and fighting for their rights, talking, you know, really fighting for their freedoms. And if you look back to 2022 uh, elections, the midterm elections, one of the things that Americans really wanted to see and wanted this president to continue to do is to fight for freedom. It's to fight for our democracy. And that's what this president is doing. So on the day that the Supreme Court overturned Roe because of the Dobbs decision, he put out a couple of executive actions to make sure that we do everything that we can to protect women. So the Department of Justice took started to, to uh, take, take action and really help women who were, for example, having to go from one state to another state because their state that they were in didn't offer uh, that reproductive health care that they truly, truly needed and had to go to another state. And sometime that could be a legal issue. Women could, could, could go to jail for doing that. So DOJ is now uh, fighting that and trying to protect those women and also protecting doctors who are doing their, their duty as a doctor to provide that health care. So we have taken some actions, obviously, through the federal government, but it's limited. It's truly limited. What we need to do, what needs to happen is that Congress needs to act. They need to put forth legislation that reinstates, that makes Roe the law of the land. And that is what we've been fighting for. Absolutely. Uh, that is so, so important. And I, I really hope that we are successful in those endeavors. You know, I've been really frustrated because Republicans have really been trying to position themselves as the quote party of families and education, but their track record speaks the exact opposite of that when they're the ones that are pushing policies that do things like ban books and cuts affordable school lunches. And so, you know, they're, they're saying one thing, they're doing another. How do we counter this, quote, pro-family narrative that they're trying to sell people? It's such a good question. And I forgot to say, even in my uh, reproductive health care answer, Republicans, they are the ones who are asking for a national ban, who are saying who've introduced legislation for a national ban. They're the ones who have introduced these uh, these restrictive abortion uh, bills across the country. They're the ones, and it's, and it's actually affecting 27 million people. So I wanted to make sure that I actually called that out because People should know what is happening uh, with in Congress and when and with extreme elected officials just across the country, and it's important to know that. To your question of banning books, uh, it is very it's devastating. It's devastating to hear and it's devastating to see happening across the country. Look, this is a great country. America is a great country. My parents came here for a reason as immigrants because they wanted that American dream and they wanted a better life for themselves. But we also have history here that is incredibly painful. And to not talk about wanting to talk about slavery or the Jim, Jim Crow or civil rights, 
movement. It is not who we are supposed to be. We are supposed to learn about all parts of our history. And this is what Republicans are trying to do. And so you have a president and a vice president who've called that out. Obviously, you have the secretary of education who continue to call that out and offering whatever they can uh, to uh, services that can to uh, local schools to help them in any way that we can. And it is just it is devastating uh, to see. And so, again, we're going to call that out. You know, as far as the lunches, look, I have my own personal story. When I was very young, when I was a kid, my parents made a move from Queens to to uh, uh, to Long Island. For those of you who, <laughs> uh, Nassau County, for those of you who are from New York and understand, know what I'm talking about. And But the point that I'm trying to make here is that during that time, during the summer, uh, my parents were financially tight. And so one of the things that myself and my siblings had to do is that we needed to have these summer lunches uh, that was being offered for free for kids like me who truly needed it. And it was a way to get some, uh, and, you know, one meal that you knew that was going to be a nourish, nourishment, right? That was going to, that you knew you were going to get fed that day. And so it is important those those summer lunches are incredibly important and for you know Republicans in Congress to not wanting to continue to fund that or to cut that or in states, you know, Republicans in states wanting to cut that, it affects real people, real young people who sometimes that's the only meal that they're going to get that day. And how are you supporting families if you're doing that? How are you supporting families? Oh, I mean the investments we make, especially in children have the biggest long run impact. I mean, I have said this podcast many times, stingy pays twice. And when we don't make those investments early, we will and are paying for it right now. And it is important that we make those investments so that every person in America can achieve to their highest capability and wishes and the American dream that you mentioned. Yeah. So you also mentioned uh, that like many Americans, you're an immigrant. Yeah. How has that shaped your values and your career? Wow, I, it's such a, another great question. Look, you know, uh, I started in one of my answers to to both of you. I talked about how this country, America, is a great country and and is a place to go after your your dreams. And look, my mom was a home health care aide. My dad is a uh, New York City ta- uh, taxi cab driver. Uh, they both, you know, they both live still live check to check. While they are incredibly proud and happy to be here, they're still trying to survive, right? They're trying to make it. Their American dream is me being in this job uh, and being able to provide what they were able to provide for me to be in this White House here working for the Biden-Harris administration. It is a dream for them. But yes, it is still very hard out there. That's what the president understands. That's why he's made sure that when people are sitting around their kitchen table and they're trying to make those difficult decisions, whether it's it's medical costs, right? Whether it's trying to figure out how are you going to pay for your child care? All these issues matter to people. And so these are the things that we're working day in, day out. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I really want to speak to this because this is really important. The first piece of legislation that he signed was the American Rescue Plan. Only Democrats voted for it. And what was so important about that particular legislation is that it allowed the country to get back on its feet again, to schools to be open, right? Now we're seeing small businesses being started, 16 million, 16 million applications being started. There was one more thing that was really important. It was called the child tax credit. And it actually cut poverty by 
50%. And it is something that we're con- we, we, we hope that continues in Congress. And they have been introducing legislation to try to get that moving again. But these are the things that families need. These are the things that my family needed growing up, you know? And so look, uh, we want to make sure that no community gets left behind. That's what the president wants to make sure. You know, we have to build an economy that works for everyone from the bottom up, uh, bottom up, middle out. We can't do this trickle down. It doesn't work. And one of the things that we've seen from many communities, they've been left behind. And I saw that in my community growing up. We've been left behind. And what I am so proud of being in this administration is communities like mine, are not left behind. They are part of the conversation and they are part of what we want to make sure that gets done for those communities that get forgotten. They get forgotten. I love that you you mentioned that because that was one of the things that has always really stood out to me about this administration is the fact that, you know, regular everyday people have been built into y'all's agenda. And that's very refreshing because normally it's like, look, if you just give rich people all the money, they will fix all the problems. And I'm like, yeah, but that hasn't been working. And so I like that this administration is like, you know what, you know what, let's, let's go back to the drawing board and actually include the people who are actually driving the economy every day with their actual money. Um, instead of hoarding it. And let's just see, you know, let's see what happens when we, you know, make them the central focus of our, our plans, our agendas and our administration. So I love that. It's a thousand percent, a thousand percent. That's exactly what the president believed, not trickle down, you know, building an economy from the bottom up, middle out. Yes. I love that. So, um, suburban women are a key voting group. Um, and, um, Interestingly, while we are a key voting group, politicians and pundits still stereotype us as all one thing. So they still, when they say the word suburban women or suburban woman, there is a very distinct picture that they see. And guess what? Don't look like me. Um, so why do you think that is? This is the speaks to the diversity of this country, the diversity of our communities. And it is important to speak about it in a whole in a wholesome way. Right. When you think about rural America, you think about suburban America. It, there, it is diverse. It is truly diverse. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's unfortunate that people don't see that. I can tell you we see that uh, in the way that we move forward with our policies and the way the president wants, directs his team to move forward with our policies. But it is important to speak to all communities here. It is important to hear from all communities here, uh, because while we're, share, we're we're all part of a diverse community, everyone has their different, you know, different experiences. Some of them are shared, but some of us have our own different experiences. And so we want to make sure that all communities are seen. We hear from them. Uh, and so that is how this administration has moved forward. That is how I think you see that in the actions that we have taken. Uh, and so we see things very differently. We see things absolutely very differently. Oh, I love that you talked about the diversity in the suburbs and the rural areas that the stereotypes don't often fit because every place is more diverse than we think about it. Yeah, exactly. Shared experiences, but diverse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love that. And when you talk about places being, you know, left behind and people feeling left behind, you can find people and places all across America that feel left behind that the policies uh, in the past haven't worked for them and that we're seeing new policies that are starting to work with them, including the American Rescue 
uh, plan that you mentioned, which I know Claudia Sam is an economist who has said this has been resoundingly the best way we have ever dealt with a recession. Yep. One of the things about the American Rescue Plan, it is it provided uh, Americans, you know, funding to put in their in their pockets. Right. The president made sure that checks were cut for people to put in their pockets, families who truly, truly needed it. Yeah. And they used it in order to pay for that child care. Right. To put food on the table. Uh, and so that was what was so important for the American people. It was indeed building the economy from the bottom up, middle out. It wasn't trickle down. I mean, it was really incredibly important. It actually helped people get back on their feet. Absolutely. Because, I mean, as Jasmine mentioned, like, that's what keeps our economy going are the people that are out in yeah. our economy. They're doing the work. They're spending the yeah. money, not the people who are hoarding yeah. the money. So. We'd love to ask you, you are breaking a lot of barriers and glass ceilings by being the White House press secretary. It must be a lot of pressure to represent Black women, the queer community, and moms all at once. (laughs) How has that journey been for you? Well, thank you so much uh, for that question. Look, it is... um, It is a job of a lifetime. I say this all the time. It is a honor and a privilege to be here, to be this president's White House press secretary, to represent him. And when I step at the lectern, just recently, a little story here, uh, I was able, my team and I were able to rename a new lectern uh, that uh, we got a new lectern, that it was the first time there was a lectern, uh, a new lectern in the the, uh, press briefing room since 2007. And so last year uh, we got one and we had the opportunity to name that lectern. And I named it the Dunnigan Payne lectern, Alice Dunnigan, after Alice Dunnigan and Ethel Payne, who were the two first black women to be part of the White House press corps. Can you imagine that these two women worked incredibly hard? Uh, they were uh, very diligent, hardworking, and they never saw anybody who looked like them that were part of the White House press corps. And they decided to be journalists, to be part of the White House press corps. And I tell that story is because I think they truly represent what this country is all about. Right. If you think about democracy, if you think about uh, freedom of the press, anytime I step at that lectern, that's what we're talking about here. Right. That press briefing gets televised across the country, but globally, the message that it sends uh, that how we move as a country, how democracy matters, how freedom of the press matters, how being, you know, uh, how, how being, uh, how being, having a platform that you can speak to and being questioned about it, right? It is, it is a great give and take. And so to be able to be that person for this president, for the Biden-Harris administration at a critical moment like this moment, when I started this conversation, I talked about the crises that the president walked into, uh, whether it's the economy, climate change, uh, racial equity, right? So dealing with how do we deal, uh, really work on racial equity. That's what I get to do. That's what I get to do. And so it is an honor and a privilege. And yes, I represent multiple communities. And I just hope, my hope is that I make them proud every day. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And thank you for that bit of history. Um, I did not know. Yeah, um, I did not know this. And so uh, not only that bit of history, but thank you for paying homage to them because that is amazing. A lot of times um, we don't hear about these things. And now there are people in positions of power that don't want us to hear about these things. So it's amazing that the lectern actually is named after them so that people have to know about Dunnigan and Payne. Yes. 
So this has been so amazing talking with you. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, we love to ask you some fun rapid fire questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Do you have a favorite family recipe? Gosh, that's so good. I mean, I both my parents are from Haiti. So there are like these delicacies, Haitian food that I love. You know, when you're from the Caribbean, there's always the rice and peas and everybody makes it a little bit differently. So that's always my favorite. And I have this little, actually this quirk that a lot of people don't know about. During the holidays, I love roasted chestnuts. Love it. It is my thing that I grew up on it and it is one of the most, uh, most fun things that I now share with my daughter. We have roasted chestnuts, but I don't have like a, I don't have a, like a recipe that I can call through, but I definitely have different, uh, kind of delicacies and uh, cultural, uh, cultural, uh, food that, uh, I'm, I'm accustomed to that I grew up with. What is your favorite way to spend a Saturday? Uh, sleeping in if I can, which is rare sleeping in, I getting some sleep mm -hmm. is the way that I love and just, just taking some me time or a little bit of family time, watching a movie, going for a hike. That's basically what I love to do. There's a great, uh, it's called the great falls here. I love to go to the great falls and go for the, the hike and we, you can go and actually see the falls in the Potomac. It's really beautiful. I love to go for a run. I'm a runner. Uh, I've been running since I was in high school. So going for a nice run and sometimes not listening to any music, just listening to the birds and, you know, nature. So I have different ways of just, 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 turning it all off. It's hard to do now. It's very hard to do. Uh, but those are the things that I, that I love to do when I'm able. Love that. All right. So powerful women stole the show at the Grammys this month. If Ooh. you could have one musician write a song about you, who would it be? Anybody past or present? So my team would kill me if I didn't mention Taylor Swift. My team, <laughs> I have members of my team. My oldest daughter would as well. <laughs> there are Swifties. And so, and, but my, my all time favorite right now, um, obviously living obviously is Beyonce. I mean, who would not want Beyonce, you know, doing a song about you. And, but I have to tell you that night, the person that floored me and I love to see and was fantastic and amazing was Tracy Chapman. Oh, she, yes. It was just, yes. From Cleveland, can I just say a Cleveland shout out, Tracy Chapman and uh, Luke Combs together, like seeing them together was amazing. And it brought together cultures and places and people. Yes, so well. yes, yes, yes. You know what I loved about that moment when they were singing? You could tell how proud and in awe he was. He looked over and was like, like lip syncing the words as she was singing. Like you could tell he was just like so much lifting her up and was like so proud mm -hmm. that she was on stage with him. It was, you could tell there is a, from him, there was a deep love and respect for her. And I think we were all with him at that, at that moment. We were like, yes, we feel what you're feeling right now. It is Tracy Chapman and she's fantastic. So that's how I would kind of wrap it up. I would get in trouble if I didn't mention Taylor Swift because I have Swifties on my team. I think I am an honorary Swiftie. So I got to say that <laughs> obviously Beyonce is, is, is one of the greatest and love her. And uh, yeah, she can write a song about me and they both can write it. Maybe they can collaborate. I was just going to say that. That would be amazing. Uh, here, here's oh. what I do. They can collaborate, write a song, and have Tracy Chapman sing it. 
How about that? I'm in. I'm in. I am in. I hope they I are listening right now. I've already tried to purchase it on iTunes yes. and it's not available yet. Yeah. <laughs> All the three of them could sing it together. Oh my God. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. There we go. All right, Corrine, where can listeners go to find out more about the great work that the Biden administration has been doing? Oh, that's such a great question. I would say go to whitehouse.gov. There's all the information, all the things that I just talked about. It's right there. They can even listen in or read about the briefing, the press briefing, if they care to. Uh, But I would tell them to go to whitehouse.gov. Awesome. Well, Corrine, thank you so much for joining us today on the Suburban Women Problem. Thank you, Bo. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Thank you. This is wonderful. Welcome back, everyone. I, I'm so sorry that I missed this interview. I have to say we, um, and I have to explain why I missed it. It was, uh, the, uh, it was Friday Shabbat dinner before my daughter's bat mitzvah. And I was hosting like 50 people at my house. But what was it like to interview her guys? It was great. Um, I really truly enjoyed having a conversation with her. Honestly, like, when you get an opportunity to talk to someone that you like see on TV all the time and you're like, "Mm, you know, I wonder what this is going to be like. And it was like exceeded all expectations. A great conversation. I felt like, um, again, we could have kept going even more, but obviously she's on a very tight schedule. So I'm just so glad that she was willing to come on with us because these are the people that we need to hear from. People want to hear from the Biden administration about what they have been doing. And those conversations are super important. And I'm so glad that she was able to really articulate that. She was such a wealth of knowledge. Like she could spout out 10 things instantly. And she, do you want me to go on? Right. And we don't often like highlight the things like the wealth of knowledge of all of the things that, that he has done, that Biden administration has done for real families. I can't agree with you more. Every time I talk to someone for the administration, whether I'm just, they've invited me to be on a briefing or whatever the case may be. Often I overhear briefings that my husband is receiving because he is, you know, in a different kind of circle. And you're like, oh my goodness, the amount of knowledge and how hard they work, how much they care. But you know what they're doing? They're working and caring and not tooting their own horn. And then you have this other side that all they do is just noise, noise, noise all day long. (laughs) And they're not working. And they didn't work when they were in the White House. And they're not working now. They're only working to get to power. And I'm so I don't mean to make this about her. What I'm trying to do is draw that line because we hear this so much from our friends, from people in our circle of, but I don't feel like the Biden administration has done enough or what have they done? First off, if you're listening to this, you you know, because you listen to us, and then you need to go and educate yourself so you can answer those questions. That's really important. And you need to educate yourself so that you can spontaneously list these things at a cocktail party or wherever you might be, uh, so that you can just drop it into conversation. Because the reality is people don't know. And I know we talk about the administration needs to do better at messaging, but you know what, who their messengers are, we are. So it's really great when we are able to have a conversation like this, but let's, you know, use it 
the most effective way, which I think means that we, you know, are, are fortunate enough to have this, but then we need to go out and tell people about it and really amplify that, you know, that relational organizing, but relational education, if you will, um, of info, in, relational informing um, is something that, that we, we can do to help them. Absolutely. While they're working, doing real things. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, well, I, again, I'm sorry I missed it, but great, great interview, guys. And you guys just uh, really knocked it all apart with great questions. And um, you got to see her regular mom side, regular woman side, which is always refreshing. It was so nice. And uh, nice to end on this high note, I would say, before we get to the cost of extremism and hearing about all of those things. So this was a very nice, like, high note, what are the wins? Let's talk about these wins. And then let's talk about what's at stake and thinking when we think about the cost of extremism. So I thought it was a nice, nice lead in. Well, uh, no pressure, but this is the end of our, you know, of our season. So we have to do our toast to joy. So make it a good one, Amanda. What's yours? Oh, oh, I don't know that mine is a good one. This is this one's kind of silly, but it is legit <laughs> a toast to joy. Because I don't know if you remember for a number of times I've talked about how I, I can burn rice. I can both undercook and overcook rice in the same batch, like for like years. And one of my kids' least favorite foods is rice. And it's because <laughs> I can't cook it. Uh, but after the advice I have gotten from you ladies and from others, and a lot of it is patience, it turns out I am a little more type A and not patient as I might be myself. And rice takes like a little bit of patience and trust. You know, you can't just like, I'm more, much more like to like cook something where you can like open it, taste it, stir it, taste it, you know, and you can't do that with rice. But I have finally got there and my family agrees. I am pretty good at making rice now after all of this advice. Wow. I made this peas and rice and my kids were like, this is the best meal ever. And I was like, oh my God, I am there. <laughs> I am very good at making rice. I appreciate all of the advice. And it took me uh, more than a decade, <laughs> but I'm there. And that's my toast of joy. Love it. So kind of a little silly, but I'm still into it. All right. Jasmine, what's your toast to joy? And why is it also about rice? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so my toast to joy is not about rice, although I am very happy <laughs> that you were able to conquer rice because now you can conquer the world. Um, <laughs> my toast to joy is going to be to my daughter. I think it's a good um, lead into this because um, so my daughter, as many of y'all know, she's really tall and um, because she's tall, um, you know, she does all these different sports and people are like, oh, you should try this or you should try that. Well, she runs track now and the hurdles coach says to her, hey, you have really long legs and I really think that they would be perfect for the hurdles. Would you just give them a try? And she was like, mom, absolutely not. Like, I will not do hurdles. I don't want to fall in front of my friends. I don't want people to laugh at me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I was also kind of like, yeah, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Well, somewhere between that conversation and the first hurdles practice that she would have been able to attend, she decided, hey, I'll just try it and just see what happens. And she made it to the middle one. So the one that you actually have to hurdle over and did so good, y'all. And I was like, so proud of her. But more so than that, I was like, way to 
conquer a fear and just say, I am going to do this. And I I look at her and, you know, um, oftentimes I feel like in the position that I'm in, that I am in a position to inspire, but I don't think my daughter realizes how much she inspires me. I love that. I think there's something that goes well, like children and aging actually go pretty well. Cause I think like at least me getting older, I care a little bit less what people think about me, which has good and bad points. Uh, but it goes with like willing to try something where you're like, it's totally fine. And you can see your kids do it and you're like, oh yeah, you just did that. And I'm going to try this new thing. I would agree. They inspire me to do new things all the time. Uh, well, that is a very sweet toast to joy. My toast to joy is um, I guess to my family, uh, while we're on break, uh, they are my family being Alex and Ellie. So in a few weeks, we are going to go on a trip to celebrate my birthday. And I kept saying, No, I don't think we should go. I don't think we should do this. Like it's, it's, uh, I'm turning 50. And I kept saying no, and they kept saying yes. And so I am giving in. And uh, I am planning my Instagram tells me I need a capsule wardrobe, whatever that is to go to I don't know what that is. I, I don't really either. It's like where everything mixes and matches. It's, anyway, but we're very much looking forward to I'm I am finally allowing myself to be excited now. And it's because they wouldn't give up in insisting that we go on this trip. So very much looking forward to it and spending time with them. But for their insistence that we're going to do something special. Um, and we all have these moments that we're going through life, I think, and, you know, we're fighting. And, and this year, our family in particular is doing a lot for the election and the election efforts. And it's easy to say, like, I'm, I'm just going to stop and focus on that. And if you do say that, that's fine. I, I also, as I mean, love a good weekend, just reading a book on the sofa. But it's important to continue to celebrate and continue to live your life. However, you want to do that just in these in these moments too, because we can't let you know, we can't lose sight of taking care of ourselves as well. Love that. And, um, and I will say it's just coincidental that it the trip coincides with the break. So uh, I will be rested and relaxed and ready to come back and continue um, the pod for our next season, which is pretty wild that uh, we're already there. Ooh, have fun. Well, thank you so much. And thanks to you for joining us today. This is our last episode of season four, as we said. And just as a reminder, we'll take a few weeks off. But don't worry, season two of our limited series, The Cost of Extremism, is coming out next Wednesday. And we are so excited for you all to hear it. I'm excited as well. We'll be covering crisis pregnancy centers, the radicalization of young white men, the crunchy yoga mom to far right pipeline, and more. Be sure to tune in on Wednesdays. Thank you so much. And we'll see you again soon. The Suburban Women Problem was created by Red, Wine, and Blue. Our producer and editor is Amy Thorstenson. Our project manager is Lindsay Quist. And our editorial assistant is Abigail Martin. For more information about upcoming events and trainings, or to learn more about Red, Wine, and Blue, follow us on social media or at www.redwine.blue.